When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yes, guys, I'm Sai. Welcome back to Ace Podcast Nation. Uh, we're not at Eat Sleep Media this evening. We are. Uh, I'm at home. My guest is at his home, and we're going to have a good old chat across the internet as part of this uh, mini-series that we're putting together called uh, From Wales to the World Cup. And we're talking to different mem- uh, different members of the, the Red Wall, if you like, or the Welsh fan base, uh, from podcasts, media, journalists, hopefully some sportsmen as well, just to hear their memories and their, and their relationship with being a Welsh fan. But uh, on with the, the show, as it were. And I'm uh, delighted to be joined by uh, author... And, of course, uh, regular podcast Aldroid contributor, Mr. Leon Barton. How are you, mate? I'm good, Sai. Thanks very much for, for having me on. Delighted to be here. Yeah, not a problem. It's, um, I've been looking forward to it. I, I apologise again for last week. That was got my dates mixed up and uh, and we missed that. But I'm, I'm delighted to have you, uh, I was going to say, in the studio. I'm so used to doing it in person now. But I'm delighted to have you on. And um, I am always interested... No. Sorry, I'm always interested to speak to Welsh fans just because uh, a lot of us over a certain age have got a, a complex relationship with the Welsh team because we've been through some some brutal moments, you know, both on and off the pitch. And um, it's been nothing if not emotional. So I'm interested in hearing yeah. your take. Yeah, well, I guess you're, I don't know, maybe of a similar vintage to me. I'm I'm 44 years old. Um, and uh, went to my first Wales game in 1985, which was uh, just happened to be the 3 0 victory over Spain when Mark Hughes scored one of the perhaps the greatest goal of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I think as a seven year old, oh, it's brilliant following Wales, isn't it? And then it's just it was like nothing but heartbreak or uh, or kind of just thrashings for for, uh, for for a good oh let's see uh, 30 years after that basically yeah, until the euro 2016 campaign and then we've uh, we've you know since basically we, you know russ uh, who you had on on this show um not long ago started um podcast pal droid in 2014 we've kind of entered the uh the golden age really of of welsh international football and so um, obviously we like to think that we're responsible for that, but um, mm. it's perhaps a coincidence. Um, maybe, 
But uh, I do think as fans, perhaps we've played our part in it in terms of creating this this movement, this um, you know, this this red wall. You know, it's sort of an organic thing, really, which has helped the team on the pitch. I mean, they they the players all say it does. So um, maybe we have played our part. Yeah, I think it's a special thing, and I think. Um... We'll talk about the red wall in a bit because I think you're right in what you say. It's a very organic thing and how it's developed over the, you know, particularly in sort of probably the last sort of five or six years. But um, interesting, like obviously we, I'm 40 myself, so I'm sim- you know similar age to you. So I remember some of the the thrashings, the the, the close, and then whenever we did get close to qualification something would happen or something would go wrong or Robert Earnshaw would be on the right wing or you know whatever these crazy <laughs> things still, were you still haven't forgiven Sparky for that one either then yeah no that was brutal because we had we should we were more than capable of beating Russia obviously um you know we beat some decent teams during that campaign yeah. and um yeah it was quite brutal especially over two legs it almost dragged out like the pain um, it's set. Yeah, I mean, I am interested. You know, when you look back to the very early years of you sort of following Wales, like you said, 1985 was your first game. Who was your kind of favorite Welsh player as you as like a, a kid and a teenager? Well, uh, it was Rashan Hughes, really. Um, but I tended to favor Hughes just because he was from from Ruaben, which was just down the road from where I grew up. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, the, but the pair of them, it was just incredible. That, like, um, so I was born in Wrexham and then I grew up just over the border, um, sadly, in England, mm-hmm. uh, in Shropshire. But um, Wrexham is still near, the nearest sort of uh, town of any size. And Ruaben is sort of actually slightly nearer to where I grew up, so maybe like 11 or 12 miles away. And then St. Asaph, where where uh, Ian Rush was born, and, and sort of Flint, where he grew up, just maybe both about 30 miles away. And in the programme for the for the, for the Spain game in 85, my first Wales game, it said um, there was a feature which said that, you know, Russian Hughes and, and Sparky had only just come into the team like the year before, really, and he scored on his debut against England in 84. He was only uh, 21, I think, still at the time of the Spain game. He said Russian Hughes together form probably the most exciting strike partnership in international football. And it just seemed it just seemed incredible to me that that was probably probably correct at the time. Yeah. You know, they they probably were. You know, I can't think of a more exciting strike partnership in the world in the mid 80s. And these. It, it's two guys who grew up 30 miles from where I grew up, you know, less than 30 miles away. Uh, that just seems extraordinary now. But we, we, at that point, it was sort of like, to some degree, the golden age of uh, foot, northeast Wales football um, in terms of like having Neville Southall from Clandidno, possibly the world's greatest goalkeeper at the time. Kevin Ratcliffe was the captain. He was from Mancot. Um D-side, same area as Gary Speed, in fact, who was, obviously came into the team later. But, um, you know, Ken Ratcliffe at the time was Everton captain. Everton were, like, 
going for the league title. I think they won the the league and the Europe and the um, old European Cup Winners' Cup that season. So he was, you know, one of the best defenders in the world. Russian Hughes were like the best strike partnership in international football, and Neville Southall was arguably the best goalkeeper in the world. And they were all f- sort of from from the northeast of Wales. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, th- those guys, you know, because they were sort of to some degree local heroes, and they were like the stars of the Welsh team. But I particularly kind of favoured Sparky because I was there for that 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 volley, you know, and I was yeah. only. St- but I can still remember it now and still remember the guy sitting next to my dad. I was down the other end, I was at the tech end and he squatted in front of the cop at the race course. So I've got a view right across to it. And this, the guy who sat next to my dad was just like, oh, did, you, did you see that? Did you see that goal? Mm-hmm. I can still remember that even now, you know? So yeah, Sparky. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, there were some, sadly, I think he kind of, could have done a better job as as manager of of Wales as we just uh, alluded to before. Yeah, he, he he showed promise at certain points, um, but it just didn't quite. I think overall, I think you'd say I thought he did pretty compared to some over the years. But I think yeah, it didn't you know like the Russia game you know. But there was other things. But I think overall, I thought he did a pretty good job as Wales manager. I think overall, well, I suppose. You know, if you look at the context of it, he came come after Bobby Gould, which was just a horrible, horrible period, and he became manager after this defeat in Italy, which was just abysmal. I mean, we we had some abysmal results, but I just remember that game particularly. Just we offered absolutely nothing, despite having some good players. You know, Giggs, you know, was probably in his Man United prime at the time, and you know. Nathan Blake was a good player at the time and Saunders was still doing it. I think he's still playing in the Premier League at that time. And just, you know, just, Col- uh, sorry, uh, well, Chris Coleman was, yeah, uh, in defence. And it just, you know, nothing was happening under gold. It was just uh, embarrassing. Vinnie Jones in midfield. <laughs> yeah, I think Vinny's, Vinny's time had come and gone by that point. I think mm. he, was, he was probably... Uh, Filming uh, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels by that point. <laughs> I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, might have got my chron- chronology chronology wrong there, but uh, yeah, I suppose you know. Then at least with Sparky coming in, he made us. He, he did sort of concentrate on the defence at first. I remember, which is funny considering he was a, he was a striker himself. But then we, we did become quite hard to beat in that next campaign. Um, I went to a couple of couple of the games. We drew a lot of games. I remember we should have, you know, teams like Armenia. We should have beaten, but at least we were getting nil nils. Where before we were kind of getting hammered by Georgia or losing to Moldova and stuff like that in the previous few years. And then we had this golden year, two thousand and two, where we beat Italy, beat um, Finland away, beat Germany in a friendly couple of good um, draws at the Millennium Stadium, Argentina, Czech Republic. It was uh, Danny Gabadon's debut, I think. Um, and then it just sort of fell apart. And we, we sort of thought, oh, we're on our way. We got these four wins at the start of the group, didn't we, against uh, Finland, Italy, Azerbaijan twice. And then it just the second half of that campaign was abysmal. Um it just the, the momentum was gone by the time we got to the playoffs against Russia. We we just had forgotten how to win, and he was kind of I think he was a bit he was 
too tactically rigid. Yeah, uh, we were missing key players, and he, you know, Robert Earnshaw was in brilliant form for Cardiff at the time, and he just left him on the bench, didn't he? And then sort of brought him on in the the second leg to play on the right wing, and it was just, uh, and then and then he sort of after that, you could tell his heart wasn't in it anymore, and he should have just walked away right then. But we we got England in the next uh, set of qualifiers, and he decided to stay on for for, for all the wrong reasons, I think, and. Um, he should have just gone right there and then and it kind of set us back quite away and then Toshak really had to rebuild and I think you know Toshak the Toshak era is very polarizing um results weren't great but I think he did a lot of important things to set the uh the foundations in place in terms of bringing young players through and, and in particular bringing um Brian Flynn in to kind of oversee the whole youth setup um there's a, there's a very good book, by the way, um, available yes. if anyone's interested. Um, I digress. What was mm. the question? Sorry. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, um, I mean, i got to say, like, I agree with you with the John Toshak era completely. Um, and like, funny enough, I did a, a, a one-off show uh, about two months ago with um, with Lawrence Mora. And um, we basically... It was titled at first, or first of all, it was titled from Gary Speed to the World Cup, and basically the rev, like the revolution of Welsh football, if you like. And we kind of just were talking about it, but then in the days coming up to the show, I kind of changed it, but I'd already done, had all the graphics and stuff done, so, mm. so I had to leave it as it was. But it was from John Toshak because John Toshak did start that kind of revolution of Welsh football. He, he, he was the first manager to say, Do you know what? we've got a lot of talented youngsters just because they're young. We don't have to wait until they're mid twenties to play. You know, they can come in now and they, and they're good enough. And if we give them time and, and it, that was the beginning, obviously, you know, Gary speed then did that to an even greater degree. And I think, well, you know, regardless of the way things ended for Ryan Giggs, I think once he started doing things his own way, I think he deserves a, a a little bit of credit for the way he you know he brought in the next generation of of young footballers and 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 he kind of moved away from the kind of older squad members and focused more on on the younger members and i think you know you know we all know the world, that it didn't quite end perhaps the way he would have liked and everyone else would have liked but in terms of the overall job like i do a show with um with his brother rodri uh, every thursday um, and you know, obviously, they've got tremendous history, both as brothers growing up, but also the thing, you know, well documented what happened. But he was the one who kind of opened my eyes a little bit to, you know, yes, of course, him kind of hanging around in the background while he was waiting his court date and things like that felt like a bit of a a noose tied around Robert Page's neck, almost, particularly in the the last Euros, like it did feel, you had a lot of people asking questions like is, you know, is Ryan Giggs picking the side and it, mm. Robert Page was facing up to everything and doing everything, but people were asking those questions and it felt like unfair to Robert Page, but he, you know, the situation was the situation. But Rodri pointed out to me that, you know, actually, if you look at it from a purely fo football point of view, he had a rocky start, Ryan Giggs did, um, probably because he was trying to carry on from Chris Coleman um, and maybe 
sticking with the squad and the players, the tactics that Rob, uh, sorry, that Chris Coleman had used. But actually, when he moved away from that and focused more on what he want, how he wanted to play and the players he wanted to play, he did quite well. Which is ironic because that I think Chris Coleman suffered from a similar problem at the start of his stint with Wales. He tried to carry on, obviously, what Gary Speed had put in place. But actually, it was only when he really focused on the way he wanted to do things that he was able to get the successes. Um, yeah, I think Chris Coleman did quite an interesting um, interview with 442 magazine recently. And he said um, he was asked about, you know, when we had that, that game against the Republic of Ireland at home where we needed to win to get, get to the playoffs for the World Cup and we ended up losing. And and uh, he was asked, uh, you know, did you know that game was going to be the end for you? And he, he was like, yeah, I mean, uh, I knew certain players were coming I was going to have to end certain international careers. Ashley Williams sort of he made a mistake in that game, sort of being one who'd been his captain. He didn't mention any names, by the way, but you can kind of see. Yeah, he, he meant Ashley Williams. He meant you know Ledley, Robson Carney, Vokes. Um, these people who'd been done so well for him, like incredible what they. They'd done for him in Euro 2016 and, and and that campaign, and he said, you know, like if if he'd stayed on, he doesn't think we'd have qualified for that Euros because he he wasn't. These guys had been like his his soldiers, you know, his war- warriors yeah. for him. So he used terminology like that, and um, it probably it, at that point it really needed someone to come in and kind of rip things up a little bit to some degree and like bring these young players through, which. Coleman would have probably been reluctant to do because he was so loyal to these guys. He'd done so much for for him and for Wales, you know. So, you know, I think Giggs coming in at that point, you know, it was, you know, got to say, obviously things ended very sourly and I wasn't someone who was particularly infused by the prospect of Giggs becoming our manager in the first place. But to, to qualify outright, you know, for only the second time in our history, really, because in '58 we got through via the back door. I don't really count that as a qualification. Um, it was a hell of an achievement, you know, especially considering we had those those two bad results away, uh, bad performance away in, in Hungary, really, and um, it looked bleak at that point. And he turned things around, and he he did, you know, Kiefer Moore was a what I find he was, that was, you know, that was a big thing, him coming into the team. But yeah, he did start sort of doing things his own way a bit more. We went a little bit more sort of direct and a bit more attacking and, and sort of he was like, okay, you know, let's, let's uh, give these kind of young at- attackers their, their um, give them a head and, and see what they can do. And I think, you know, uh, yeah, Dan, Dan James was really good that campaign, second half of that campaign and, and, and Kiefer Moore coming in. And we had this nice sort of um, mix then of like the, the physicality of Moore and uh, with the pace of Dan James and that sort of really served as well. It, we were sort of less reliant on Bale perhaps. Yeah. And then Ramsey, you know, obviously we couldn't rely on Ramsey because he wasn't fit for that campaign until the very last game and obviously came up trumps with that amazing performance against Hungary. So yeah, we do, we do have to give gigs credit for that qualification but i've i kind of always thought considering the kind of character he, that he is 
it was likely to sort of blow up in blow up in our face that appointment to be honest i thought it was a bit of a vanity appointment from trip from um jonathan ford at the faw he was i think he just wanted uh he wanted gigs because he gigs was like you know the most famous name manager he could appoint to some yeah but um and I think no, I, can't, I can't slag off that period too much because he, he he got he got us to no, European you know. Yeah, and I, that's the thing. And like at the end of the day, from a purely footballing point of view, there wasn't much more that Ryan Giggs could have done from a football point of view. You know, he got to the Euros and um, whatnot, and that, those Euros created um, a whole different scenario for the Welsh nation, the Welsh fans because of the performance in 2016 and getting to the mm-hmm. semi-final. And I think you speak to most Welsh fans, they feel that if Aaron Ramsey hadn't been banned against Portugal, uh, was he banned or injured? I forget. He was uh, suspended. Right, he was yeah. banned, wasn't he? And yeah, then, I, I just questioned myself. And, um, like yeah. most Welsh fans I speak to, they do think, and me included, I they feel like if Aaron Ramsey had played, we may have had a good chance of beating Portugal on in a one-off game. Because it was, you know, it was a very tight game, and he had been electric throughout the tournament. Yeah, then, two things. Two things I say that. Yeah. Also, Ben Davis. Yes. Was yeah. suspended. Big player, and, and he was I so mean, good. Ben Davis was, he was in that so tournament. good in that tournament, and just really important to the way we played with the three at the back. And still, and and now as well, I think you know, and and he's you know really made that position his own for Wales and with Spurs now as well. You know, like to play left of three centre backs. So, so to bring in James Collins, who's a good player and with plenty of Premier League experience and international experience, just wasn't the same though. Still, because no, it just it's just not the same. He's not as good a player as Ben Davis. Yes, and also we played in that fucking terrible grey and lime green kit. Who wins in grey? Nobody, nobody wins in grey. Who wants to play? What football team wants to play in grey? I don't know whoever whoever's decision that was at the FAW to play in in to to make our second kit grey and lime green. <laughs> yeah, shocking, shocking. So to this day, I think if we'd have played in in yellow or something, we, we might have might have won that one, even with Ramsey and Davis suspended. Yeah, it was a close. It was a close game, wasn't it? And it was it was quite gritty. And I think um, that bit of creativity, the way just the way the Aaron Ramsey would had played throughout the tournament, I just yeah. feel like he would have given us something. But also, what that so what that tournament created was going into the next Euros when we qualified. I feel like there was suddenly a bit of expectation that now, whereas going into Euro two thousand and sixteen, I think the overroaring. Uh, the overall opinion was let's just try and get out of the group. Let's go out there and enjoy it. And, you know, we're at a tournament. This is amazing. If we get out of the group, wicked. Mm-hmm. But then the next tournament was like, there was a bit of expectation there. And I think if we'd gone out of the group stage there, there would have been a bit of disappointment. So it was a whole new feeling for the fans, for the players. Not, you know, I know these are, you know, they're, yeah. Premier League players and they're used to it, but it is very diff- different for a from a Welsh perspective. Um, talk to yeah. me a bit about your memories of the two Euro tournaments. First of all, you know Euro two thousand and sixteen, finally qualified after of plenty of near misses. 
Mm-hmm. How was that as just from a personal point of view? Oh, well, I was, um, I went out to France for the, for the group games. I'd, I'd stayed in the South of France. So I didn't go up to, um, was it Lens where we played England? So I just watched that game in Toulouse, um, ahead of the Russia game. But, um, it was just like, you know, I'd sort of dreamed of watching Wales at a tournament ever since, um, you know, we missed out in 85, 86. Um, that game against Scotland, uh, I don't know if you'd remember it, you're probably too young to remember that one, but um, basically we needed to beat Scotland at Ninian Park to... Um, get to basically a playoff against Australia, which we would have won at the time because Australia mm. were ropey and um, Scotland. We were 1-0 up. We actually absolutely battered Scotland in the first half. We should have been a couple of goals to the good. And then we just got nervy, really nervy. Nine minutes to go. Ball gets smashed against Dave Phillips' hand. Scotland get a penalty. They get 1-1 draw. They go through. Jockstein, their manager, Sadly, course, yeah. uh, died of a heart attack at the, the end of that game. Um, so it was a heartbreaking night in a, in a lot of ways. You know, it's like heartbreaking for Scotland because they lost their manager and heartbreaking for us. And then, um, uh, yeah, so that was my introduction to Welsh football heart, heartbreak, age mm. uh, seven there, back in 1985. And so, so it, like pl- watching Wales play at a tournament is something I've been dreaming of for 30 years. And... <laughs> Yeah, and then, and then when we when did it, we finally did it. It was like there was no way I was not going to go. So you know, it was just like, uh, you know, I had to be in Bordeaux for that first game to see us play at a tournament for the first time in fifty eight years. It was just magic. It was just absolute magic to be there and sort of, you know, just hanging out in Bordeaux. You know, we drove. We I drove over with my mate Andy is also from from Wrexham and um, that lives here in Innsbruck where I live uh, in Austria and so we drove over to, to Bordeaux and then we like the next day just went into the town early and just you, you're catching up with people I don't know if you were there but like you know you just you're seeing people you knew from years before growing up or whatever school or, or people friends of friends and stuff like that and it was just like this massive party. It was amazing. And this was like before, you know. Yeah, before a ball, ball had been, been kicked. Before a ball had been kicked, it was amazing. You know, yeah. the experience. Just being there at a tournament. It, I dreamed of it for, for three decades. And it was amazing then to like, to be at the game. It was just really special. And it was such an exciting, dramatic game as well. And it looked like it was slipping away from us in the second half when Slovakia equalised. And then. Robson Carnu and Ledley came on, sort of swung it back in our favour, and Robson Carnu scuffs that winner with eight minutes to go. I was like, just, I was, I was like three rows up behind that goal, so I was just, you know, just like metres away, watching this ball trickle in, thinking, <laughs> it's going in, it's going in. It's just, you know, bodies piled on top of each other. It was an amazing day, and then. Um, yeah, and then I was like hanging out in in France for a couple of weeks, going to other games, and. Um, that that Russia game in Toulouse with the sun going down, the sunset was incredible. You know, just uh, another great day and loads of 
had uh, loads of mates were at that one because of um, Airbus. Uh, I was staying with a friend who works for Airbus, and um, like there's that Welsh Toulouse connection there, and um, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a, just an, another an amazing day. Um, and then you know to top it off, <laughs> an amazing performance. Yeah. Um, and then uh, and then next day um, drove home to Innsbruck via a quick stop at the beach, um, which was nice. But mm. uh, then watched watched the rest of the tournament on, on telly, and then you know Northern Ireland game was a real alarm wrestle. I watched that in the pub, and uh, I was just like, okay, well we got through and caught a final, amazing. Okay, let's you know Belgium. Okay, they're big favourites, but you know we'll give it a shot. And then that performance just was extraordinary. It's still the greatest, you know, it's the greatest performance in the history of Welsh football, surely. Yeah, um, it was that Belgium game was um like one of those once in a lifetime performances for you, like for as a fan. Like I, I likened it. Um I was speaking to someone the other week who's a Manchester United oh. season ticket holder. Um and and with Rodri as well, like he talks about that treble winning season and obviously the Champions League goal which they scored you know in like the 91st and the 94th minute or something to obviously come back and win and like he says like those memories and those games like they can never be topped because the emotion involved in it and then the just everything surrounding it everyone had written Wales off you know when when Belgium score early everyone's you know you think oh no here we go hope we don't go out with like a you know like a heavy defeat yeah and then of course we get back into it and 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 all the the special moments which happened during the game but one thing um very quickly is um for me with a qualification for euro 2016 the reason why i tell my children and, and i say like it was so special and so emotional when we finally qualified was i had come to a conclusion, I think, well, so what was it, 2015, 2016, I was 30-something, shall we say, and, like, I had, in my head, I had made peace with the fact that I would never see Wales in a tournament. Like, I had kind of accepted that we were never going to get there. So then, when this qualification, or when it was, like, building up towards the qualification, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, you get excited, but you've, I've been here before, you know, whether it's Bowdoin mm. or whether it's Mark Hughes or it's mm. the Republic of Ireland game. Like, you've you've had these near misses so many times with squads, which, you know, at some points in time, we have may have had squads with more big names in, if that makes sense, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Like, Bale, obviously, is Bale and Ramsey. Yeah. But outside of that, a lot of the mm-hmm. players were kind of, you know, respected yeah pros but they weren't huge names whereas yeah. in past years we could have had gigs and rush and hughes and bellamy and saunders um so we did have these big name players you know previously and hadn't made it so you kind of thinking oh are we going to do it again and and it just kept building and building and building and the belgium game was almost like the the peak of that from the sort of last bit of the qualification and then finally getting over the line sort of build into the to the tournament before the tournament 
and then obviously throughout the group stage and playing England and and getting through, like you say, that Northern Ireland game was such a tough game, yeah, because it was a very British game, yeah. And then the Belgium, you go in and you're like, right, quarterfinals, not really got massive expectations, no. But also, it's a quarterfinal, and you're like, well, if we win this, we are through. Mm. And it was like the peak of everything for me personally, and like mm. I just remember when um, Chris Gunter crosses that ball and uh, Vokes heads it in. Like it was just like a release of emotion, and I just burst into tears. I did. I was just because it was like it had all been building, like that pressure and the the tenseness and the just everything about it. it was yeah, surreal. I was just. I mean, I was. I sat on my couch over there. I'm pointing to it, mm. watching this game, and um, my wife had been putting our child to bed. Who was you know very young at the time, and. Um, so she hadn't been watching it with me, and I'd, I'd been trying, like, trying to keep reasonably quiet when we it's scored these goals because he was, you know, she's trying to get our toddler to sleep, and <laughs> and then when I just she came out at the end of the game, I was just sat there on my couch, just like pointing to the screen, which said like Wales three, Belgium one, with like tears rolling down my mm-hmm. cheeks, and she was like uh, trying to. Trying to, you know, not laugh at me, but yeah. um, I've I, I, I lost for words. I was just like pointing at the screen, and she was <laughs> like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I can see you won." But I was like, "It's difficult you know, to explain." Isn't it? You don't understand. You don't understand what mm. we've been through. You know, as a as a sort of Wales fan, I, I was thirty eight. You know, so I'd uh, I'd seen a I'd seen a lot of pain. I'd seen. Some some uh, heartbreaking stuff as a Wales fan, and and so, yeah, that that I I once described. I was talking to um, name drop a bit, but I was talking to Ellis James, who's become uh, quite I've become quite friendly with since meeting in um, in France actually, and um, I said to him, I th- I think for every Wales fan over the age of thirty, what happened in France was like this was like this mass therapy session you know mm-hmm. we're like all this stuff came out you know it was like catharsis wasn't it it was just oh yeah 100%. You, know, you know i still i still sort of get emotional sometimes thinking about it even now well you know yeah i mean like i sometimes i'll go back and watch the you know the highlights on youtube or whatever the belgium game and uh, it still creates like that, you know. You still, get, I still got a bit of a lump in my throat, and I, you know, depending how I'm feeling, I get quite emotional watching it because it was just such a surreal situation, a surreal game, and it was like the, like I said, when Belgium scored that early goal, there was a feeling of, oh, here we go, that's the end of the road almost. But it yeah. wasn't, you know, only minutes before I think. Um, you know, a tackle or something, we had a chance and, you know, everyone was like, oh, there's quite a long way to go. You know, we've done some incredible things already. So the hope was still there, but at the back of your mind, you're almost like, oh, I hope we don't go out with a, a whimper or whatever, because Belgium, you know, yeah. superstars, isn't they? Yeah, I mean, it looked like, you know, De Bruyne and Hazard were like really strutting their stuff. And yeah, I remember them pinging the ball around just before they scored, actually. <laughs> Yeah, they that they dominated that first fifteen minutes until a goal. It was it'd been coming, hadn't it? And 
you're just like, oh, God, you know, just, all right. Okay, let's just not get not, not get hammered, and that'll still be a good result for us. And then we, we and then we, for some reason, I'm not quite sure what it was, but after they scored, either they we started playing or they stopped playing or a bit of both. But we were at that was probably the best we played that like half an hour between them scoring and the halftime whistle was the best we played all tournament probably, and um. You know, we definitely needed that equaliser from Ashley Williams. We needed something to show for it to take into half time. But that was just, you know, it almost came out of nowhere, but we were exceptional then for that, for the rest of the half. And then the second half was, it was a very even half, I think. You know, they created chances and they, you know, had a, a penalty shout, which was quite good. And Lukaku missed a header, which he should have scored. And Fellaini had one. But then we we come up with these two like extraordinary moments and you know big moments win big games and um, it was just an, an exceptional performance an incredible night. Yeah, extraordinary is the word I think it's um, and you could tell even by the commentary, um, which I know non Welsh fans, particularly some of my English fans, uh, English friends weren't massively impressed with Robbie Savage on on commentary but I mean you're always going to get that if you had a Welsh pundit or a Welsh co-commentator because it was such an extraordinary night an extraordinary performance moment everything with it I would defy any passionate Welshman to you know be on commentary and be able to remain calm and collected and just say oh it's a great finish and you know it's just not going to happen but I mean Everything about it was emotional and special, but as I as I alluded to a bit earlier, like we went into the the Euros, the next Euros, with a bit more expectation, mm-hmm. I think, on on the group, on the on the team. Obviously, we had the the gigs and page thing, also uh, in the background, not in the background, but you know, it was kind of an ongoing thing. Gigs was still there, but not there. Robert Page was in charge. Um. How did you feel going into that tournament? Because I look back at that tournament and I, I didn't really enjoy it very much. It... Well, it was all just it was a bit of a weird one because obviously we had the we had the delay because of COVID, and then I I always hated the the format of a tournament anyway. And the fact that we were going out to Azerbaijan for games and it was all these COVID bubbles and everything that. It just went, you know, I was never going to go. And then we had to fly to, and we had to play Italy in Rome, you know, where they never lose. And, and you know, it's just, it was, the format was terrible. So I didn't, you know, I just didn't, it's not what a, an international football tournament should be all about. And I think in Qatar as well, it's kind of like, you know, it's sort of in some ways, which I'll go on to talk about this a bit more, but like, you know, the fact that it's happening in November and December, it just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like what an international football tournament should be about. Um, but anyway, uh, so the fact that, you know, it was a year delay to it um, was, a, was a factor. We had the whole gigs issue come up in the meantime. That was a factor. You know, a lot of our players hadn't 
played a lot of top flight football going into no. that tournament as well the previous season we hadn't had a good season in terms of players getting you know peaking at the right time or sort of being in top form or being really ready for it you know like so Bale had had injury problems Ramsey as well um Joe Allen had been injured you know not that he was even in the top flight because he you know he's been a championship player for a while but still important player for us but you know just like people you thought ah, oh, you know like Danny Ward was our first choice keeper by that point but you know he just he was very much in reserve at Leicester and so I mean I can't remember the exact numbers but there was a stat which was really striking ahead of the Denmark game which we obviously lost um you know 4-0 but um it was something like the, the Danish players, the starting eleven for Denmark had had well over 300 top flight starts between them mm. in the previous season, whereas our our um, 11 that started that game had something like 38. That was it. Because I mean, like, even Ampadu was suspended as well. And he'd, he'd been playing in... Uh, Italy for the season, hadn't he? I think. Yes. So, I think so, yeah. so that would have that would have lost us a lot of top flight stuff. I can't remember who would have made the bulk of those. Maybe Ben Davis. I can't. But like you know, other than that, you know, there were, there was, we didn't really have anyone who was playing regularly top flight. And I, look at this: what this tournament coming up? At least you know the fact that it's so near to the start of the season is uh, means we won't have any disparity like that going yeah. into any any of these games at least and if you look at a stat like that and you think well what chance did we have really you know mm. so we weren't we weren't perhaps in the best place so considering all of that and considering we had a really tough group i think tougher than 2016 switzerland um turkey and baku which is was tough because it was it was um very close to turkey so it was almost like a home game for them like the turkish president was there and everything and then Italy and Rome. That's a tough group. The fact that we got out of the group, I think, was a good achievement. And so I wasn't I wasn't um too hard on the players after we got hammered by Denmark because I thought just to get through to the round of sixteen was a good achievement in the circumstances we found ourselves in, actually. But um, you know, it just wasn't the same for a variety of reasons. You know, Euro two thousand and twenty stroke twenty one wasn't nothing like, you know, France in two thousand sixteen. Yeah, and I think, you know, like you say, there was a variety of, of reasons for that. And, like, I do find myself still being, um, as we build up to the World Cup now in literally weeks, it's, I, I, I'm I not quite in, like, the, I don't know whether it's the time of year or whether it's just because Wales have never, you know, in my lifetime, have never been to the World Cup. It hasn't quite sunk in. And I think mm -hmm. until we play that first game, yeah, I think it'll be a bit surreal still. Um, but Wales yeah, are going always, to a World Cup. Usually, before a, like a tournament, there's like this period, isn't there, where the league is finished, yeah, and the players yeah, have stop playing, and so you like, okay, what's the next thing? Whereas now I'm like, I've got one eye on like what are Wrexham doing tonight? You know, mm -hmm. oh, the Welsh players getting on in the in the Premier League or the Champions League or whatever, um, and you don't have that usually in the build up when it's only like uh two and a half weeks to a world cup usually it, it, there's no domestic football going on is there so it's so so it's very different in that respect 
yeah and when you've got a small pool of players to pick from and you're you you know you've got maybe one or two who are particularly important to you you're kind of watching out of, uh, to see if they've you know been injured or picked up any niggling injuries and things like that because it's literally yeah. there's no time to recover now so if you pick up you know if someone picks up an injury this weekend you're gonna miss probably some of the world cup and it's uh it's, it's worrying as a welsh fan i gotta say but um yeah, because especially because we're a small nation and we're sort of, you know, we don't, yeah. we're never going to have that sort of depth that uh, an England or an Italy or a Spain has, you know. So, mm. so you kind of, to some degree, you, you're, you know, you're reliant on, uh, you know, Bale being fit, Ramsey being fit, um, Joe Allen. It's looking pretty touch and go, isn't it? It's, uh, but um, yeah, you know, we need, we need, we need our big. Big players available, and um, you know, Frank, we do have more depth than than in the past. Yeah, oh, much more, I think. For sure, but you're still kind of looking for those difference makers to be yeah. available for sure. I think um, more than ever um, this year, because it's happening, you know, in November, in the sea, in the middle of the season, or you know, certainly during the season. I think. Um, Players on form could end up being vital to teams going through and, and qualifying, you know, for the knockout rounds and things like this. Like if you've got a, a young striker or someone who's banged, you know, a few quite a few goals in already this season, mm. and maybe a young player or someone from a lower league or something, I think it's worth taking them. Because if you've got yeah. someone, for, particularly with strikers, if you've got someone who's banging form and is all they've done all season is score goals or, mm. you know, play well. There's worse people to have on the bench, isn't there? And I think we we have got such a small pool of players to pick from that if we're, if I don't think we will, because I think they'll, you know, largely pick the players who've got them there and, and, and there'll mm. be a certain amount of loyalty there. But I would like to think that we will, scour the the championship the premier league whatever maybe even league one just to see if there's any you know any welsh players who haven't maybe maybe they haven't been capped or yeah well just on fringes who are banging yeah an, for them. yeah an interesting one might be ollie cooper from uh, swansea because he's yeah. been in good form this season and he but he's uncapped so i don't know it's, it's unlikely i'd say that page would pick an uncapped player for the squad but you know if you're looking at they took the ruben corwell to um to the Euros, didn't he? So yeah, I mean that's uh, I mean it's, that's an interesting one because Colwell, I I rate, I think he's he's going to be a really good player, but he's he's not um been fit really. He's not played no. much, so like if he's not fit enough to go, if he's not fit enough to play for Cardiff for, for however long it is, I don't really think he's fit enough to go to the World Cup. I would probably if he's not played for Cardiff at all leave him at home even if he's sort of it's a difficult one isn't it if you know what i mean yeah and and uh, if he's gonna pick you know like a young attacking midfielder who can score a few goals and is you know got some form then i think that ollie cooper would be probably you know a, a better bet than taking colwell at this particular point but then you know page is is quite loyal to, to yeah. playing before and so i yeah, I don't know exactly what he's thinking, but you know, it could. You, I, I think it's an interesting point you make there. It could be right in terms of like even 
I would expect someone like Johnny Williams to to be in the squad. I mean, he's been a lovely player for Wales, really done well for us. But I mean, he's League Two at the moment. But if you look at so, his scoring goals, he's doing well. You know, and it, it's almost like if there's doubts about certain other midfielders, fitness and form or whatever, and you know, someone like that could come in. He knows what it's all about playing international football. He's got well over thirty caps, I think, and. He, he, he could be someone who, like, might, you know, he's capable of these sort of moments. He could, someone that could absolutely, you know, yeah, score at a World Cup. You know, a yeah. two player, but I wouldn't put it past him. You know, he's, well, he's good enough. You know, yeah, I think his experience of being with the Welsh squad probably gets him a place on the plane because he's yeah. because he's in good good form as well. But I mean, I was just looking because uh, uh, there's a guy who watches my shows. Uh, who's a Plymouth fan, and he always says to me, Wales should pick Luke, Luke uh, Jeffcott. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just having a quick look then to see how Luke Jeffcott has been doing this year. And he's 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 dropped down, or he's, he's in League Two playing for Swindon on loan. Yeah. But he's scored five goals in 10 games this season. Right. So he's in form. And it's like, mm. if you're going to c- consider... Like looking for trying to find that diamond, just that one yeah. player who you can have off the bench. Do you go with a Johnny Williams, who's experienced, got that bit of creativity, but being realistic, hasn't been fantastic over the last year or so, mainly because of fitness. You know, he went to Cardiff and didn't play a game. Yeah. Um, but albeit is in form now, as also you don't have to worry about him integrating into the group and things like mm. this because he's been there and he's done it. Or do you go with a 22-year-old who's also playing in League Two, but is banging form, is scoring a goal every other game, and you yeah. can have someone like that off the bench who can pinch you a goal when you most need it? Yeah, well, I mean, another name to consider if you're looking at that, I mean, someone who's a bit older, but um, Tom Bradshaw scored a hat-trick for Millwall against Watford yeah. last week. I would um, most definitely consider... Um, I would, be, you know, what for one of Robert Page's old clubs? <laughs> Maybe he was watching. I bet. I mean, Page hasn't picked him for it for a squad even. So um, I don't think he's on the radar. But I mean, no. what about uh, uh, Tom Lawrence? Would you take him? No. Well, no. <laughs> he's no? not. Well, he's not been. He's not been playing for Rangers recently. I, I think he's had injury problems, and he's. Um, I tend to think. If he wasn't yeah. going to get in at the end, second half of last season, yeah. when he was banging for the derby, derby, he's probably yeah. not getting back in. Yeah. Which yeah. I've got to say, some, something there, some personal issue or something, or maybe just issues with his personality. I don't, I don't know exactly, but it, Page doesn't seem to like him. No, there, I agree with you. There, it seems like there's something because there was a point. Um, I don't know if it was. Yeah, it was, must have been last season. I get a bit yeah. lost with COVID and the sort yeah, of yeah. times and stuff. But there was a point at last season where I was just like, we, we, he can't cannot do any more to be in this no. well side. Like he was, no. you know, almost like man of the match every other week for Derby. Yeah, he was yeah. scoring goals. He was assisting. You know, he had sort of kept his head down after being involved in the that uh, the drink driving thing or whatever it was with the other Derby players. He'd kind of. And it felt a bit like the other players involved in that had been forgiven because, you know, the same, they'd got their head down and they'd gone and done 
you know, got back to play football. He had done the same, but for whatever reason, you know, I don't know if it's linked to that incident or if there's something else there, but I feel for him a bit because he's only 28 and I feel like he is a good enough footballer to be an asset for Welsh football, but probably isn't going to even be considered. I don't know. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it was, funny thing for me was like when, when Wayne Rooney uh, was Derby manager and he was saying that uh, he was pushing his credentials forward saying like he should be in the Wales squad. And I thought that's a that's an interesting turnaround, isn't it? Because I mean, managers used to be pissed off when yeah, <laughs> they, our players were picked were picked for the squad. They didn't seem to ever like it. But here we've got a manager saying he should be picked for the international team, and um, it's like, well, that's 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 an example of how success changes how you're perceived, isn't it? And then hundred percent. Rodri Rodri often says that. Like Fergie used to just tell Ryan, "You're not going to this one." He didn't yeah. even. It wasn't a conversation. No, it was, it was a, yeah. "You're not yeah. going to this one." Yeah, I mean, it was. It was. Uh, you know, it's unfortunate for I think for Welsh fans because, like, as a player, Ryan Giggs could have been right up there with Gareth Bale as the, you know, the one of the great Welsh greats, and I think his, uh, his legacy as a Welsh player, is was greatly harmed by the fact. That he skipped so many international breaks, trips, games, whatever you yeah, want to call them. Yeah. No, um, an interesting thing for me because I mean, I don't. If this is going to seem like I'm just plugging my my book here, but I, no, no. I, wrote, <laughs> I wrote this book about Brian Flynn a few years back, and um, Flynn had a good relationship with Ferguson because he used to go down to watch. Um, United's reserve games and youth games a lot because he lived in Burnley and he was obviously he was driving between Wrexham and Burnley a lot Flynn um, when he was Wrexham manager and he would go and what to the cliff where United would uh, would train and play reserve games and all this and he was always watching and he was you know he was there sort of doing doing you know really sort of working hard to sort of turn things around at Wrexham sort of try and find players who can maybe take on loan and stuff like that and Ferguson because because he was always there Ferguson really respected that and they they built up this rapport they had this good close sort of working relationship really and we got at Rex we got a few good players from United on loan and stuff and Flynn when uh when um, Mike Smith was sacked as Wales manager in in uh, 95 Flynn was one of the favorites to get it he wanted really wanted to be Wales manager, and he'd, we'd have we'd had some good success with Wrexham at that point. We'd had some good cup runs, got a promotion from from uh, fourth tier to the third tier. Can't remember what these leagues were called at the time. It's uh, mm-hmm. still Division. I don't know what it was. It was division two, Division three, and Division four, probably mm-hmm. two, two and three. I don't know. But um, but anyways, like uh, if what if. You know the FAW had given Flynn the job rather than Gould. Would Ryan Giggs? I mean, is it one of the great sort of what ifs? I don't know. You know, maybe it's like wishful thinking, and maybe it wouldn't have made any difference whatsoever. But I, I've got, I had this idea which I had to sort of put in the book. Like, what if Flynn had become manager in '95, and Flynn had got this good relationship with Ferguson? 
there's a there's mutual respect between the two of them. What if Flynn had become manager? How would that have affected Ryan Giggs's Wales career going forward? Would he have been available for more games? Would Ferguson have been less reluctant for him to go off on international mm. duty? All those questions, you know, I, you know, I, I, which are hy- hypotheticals. I can't say, oh yeah, for sure, you know, like if. I think it's a, fair, it's a fair, it's a fair assumption to make, isn't it? Or a fair, but, yeah. speculative prediction, yeah. whatever you want but, to say. You know, it's fair to say that Ferguson and Gould did not get on. <laughs> no. Well, Ferguson did not rate Bobby Gould as a manager in the slightest, and it was just like, why would I, you know, want to let one of my best assets go off and play for this clown? You know, that was yeah. Ferguson's attitude almost. You know, so. Yeah. It's unfortunate, isn't it? But um, I think also, I don't know. You'd, you'd like you'd like to think that players would say, you know, no, I want to go and play for Wales. But yeah, like Fergie I, and Ryan Giggs didn't have your typical manager-player relationship, and I think people sometimes forget that it's like no, no. Fergie no, no. was about as close to a as a father to, to Ryan Giggs as you could be. Absolutely. You know, my, my friend Rich, who does the podcast, uh, Podcast Peldroid as well, he's made this point, saying basically, you know, if, you know, let's uh, let's just take stock of the fact here that, you know, Ferguson was basically Gig's dad, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he just, you know, that was, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a, that sort of relationship that was so close that um, that affected things as well, for sure. Yeah. Because I think when you when you change that, like if you look at it from a like a purely sort of outside point of view, when you change that relationship from manager to manager and player to almost father and son, if your manager tells you you're not going to play for Wales, once you get to a certain age, a certain level, you might say, no, actually, I am going to go, I, you know, whatever, and they might fall out of a disagreement. But a father son thing. Is slightly different because the relationship's different and he's taken advice from this man for 20 years, 30 years or whatever it was, you know, but it's particularly later in his career. So, of course, if he says, Mm -hmm. give this one a miss, he's not going to dispute it. Um, He's also, from a young age, been not controlled, I mean, but like disciplined by this guy. So, like, from a child to a to a, you know an adult, he yeah. was yeah, his life from, was kind of dominated by Fergie's rules, if you like. Yeah, from fourteen years old, wasn't it? And yeah, playing for United and uh, um, yeah. Very quick question, mate, to finish, because um, I found this really interesting. Someone asked me this uh, yesterday, and I didn't have an answer. But um, so uh, my friend of mine said that Robert Page shouldn't take, and he actually said Johnny Williams who we just talked about, and he should take Charlie Savage instead, <laughs> who plays for, I think, Manchester United under-23s, is it? Um, I think. But he's, I, I think he's made a couple of caps for Wales under-21s, and I've heard he's good. So he his argument... He local league game last season, didn't he, for his yeah. United baby. So he got, he got further for United than his dad did. Yeah. He made a first-team appearance. <laughs> Even if he doesn't... Play another game for United, but yeah. No, sorry, that's ridiculous. But that's utterly ridiculous. Yeah, I don't um, think you can you can chuck him in. Like, like so. His example is this, was is this guy a United fan by any chance? I mean, um, 
<laughs> yeah, I think he might be. I think he, yeah, he is. I think, but like, I, mean, I think the, the I think his argument was so he said better to take someone who's athletic, youthful, quick, sharp, good, and can really you know come on and make a difference with his energy and stuff like that. And then his second part of it was like you know we took Ruben Corwell to to give him the excuse um, the experience of going and well, why not do the same thing? But like. My thing with that was that Ruben Corwell was playing for Cardiff's first team, even though he wasn't week in, week out. He was coming on most games and he was playing most games. Whereas Charlie Savage has made probably two substitute appearances for United, played once for the under 21s. So, you know, look, he might go on and be one of Wales's great midfielders, but he's 19 and he's not there yet. No. And I think it's unfair to. Yeah, we're not at that kind of stage where I mean this used to happen a bit in the past I think I remember called uh, picking um, for a squad perhaps Leighton Maxwell who's at Liverpool and then he ended up at Cardiff and he's I think he's in prison now he's a he is, yeah. history that guy um, but uh, um, you know we used to t- sort of do that sort of thing didn't we? we used to think well this youngster's at a big team so you must be good. It must be good. Yeah. <laughs> That's but we're we're way beyond that. I mean, it's like we don't, you know, if we, if we're looking at what clubs they play for, that's ridiculous. We wouldn't have taken um, Hal Robson Carnu to Euro 2016 because he didn't have a, he didn't have a club. He wasn't he wasn't even in contract to any club. He was you know his contract at Reading had run out, and we, <laughs> he scores like the most amazing goal. In our history, I know I just said that about Mark Hughes. Yeah, it was un- unforgettable there. that Robson Carney one. No. <laughs> so I, I, I think we're beyond that sort of stage of looking, thinking, oh, this guy's at a big club, he must be good. Let's pick him. We're, yeah. we're much more trusting about our system and like how if you know a player's done well for our youth teams, like okay, let's push him up. If he's done well for the under 17s or something, push him up to the under 21, see how he goes there. Maybe. An under twenty one player, you know, it's happened quite a lot under the sort of Toshak Flynn years. You know, an under twenty one player who not made any impact at club level really was pushed up to the senior squad because he'd done well in a Wales shirt. You know, we're much more trusting in our kind of system. And someone like Johnny Williams has been a fantastic player for Wales really over the past, uh, you know, seven eight years or so. I think, and I one other thing, it was nine. Nine years ago, I think his debut because I was there up in um, Scotland, Hamden Park in the snow. He came on for for Bale at half time, absolutely brilliant. You know what a little what a little gem he's been. I think you know really, and um, it also it doesn't take into account the fact that the way he plays means he invites, he draws fouls, yeah, which win free kicks, which you know Gareth Bale. As showed against Austria, um, he doesn't need to have been playing a lot of games to still strike a dead ball and put it in the back of the net. So it's a, it's a kind of a useful tactic for us, you know, which um, Johnny Williams has won quite a few free kicks in and around the box, which Bale sort of uh, put away. So um, that's a, that's not even, <laughs> that idea is a, a bit... It's a bit out there, isn't it? And I yeah. think, look, if... Um, if Wales decided to take uh, one of the under 21s strikers, I wouldn't be against it if they were picking them 
So say Luke Jeffcott, for instance, because mm-hmm. he's in form and he scored goals. So they're saying, right, we're going to take you, one of the younger strikers, because you're in form, we want you to take that form into the tournament off the bench when we need it, whatever it may be. I don't really want us to take, just take someone just to give them experience. Like I want them to, to offer something to the, like be picked because they can see a scenario where that player would be needed as opposed to kind of, I do feel like the Ruben Corwell thing was a bit to give him experience and I get it, but I just think that squad, by the way, once he was there, I thought he should have played. Um, there was a couple of times I thought he should have come on. Well, like in that Italy game when we kind of changed the team around a bit because we because we were virtually already through. Yes. The next round, were we? And he didn't even come on in that game. I thought, well, wow, bit of a bit of a waste maybe to take him. <laughs> yeah. It's um, going to be interesting. Interesting tournament. Um, to finish us off, I'd like to ask you um, for that first game in the tournament. Yeah. What would be your midfield? Oh, uh, well, God, it's, assuming it, everyone's fit. Assuming everyone's fit, when that includes Joe Allen, um, who won't play. I don't think he's going to be fit, but let's say he is. He makes a super recovery and he's fit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard because also, like, Ledley hadn't played for weeks before Euro 2016, but he came on and, and then he sort of made, made an impact. So. You know, if there's any chance of Joe Allen playing, I would take him. He's that important to us. Um, yeah, I mean, you think I mean, Rob Page would have hopefully looked at the USA a lot more closely than I have or we have as fans, you know, and sort of. But it seems to me like they're perhaps their their best players in the midfield. You know, Pulisic and McKenney at um, at Juventus. Probably their best players. Um, so I think it's one where we probably need to kind of beef up the midfield a little bit in terms of in, well, like numbers at least. I would, I, I mean, I've advocated for this. I always like um, Ramsey playing at number 10 in front of two defensive midfielders and three centre backs. I, I like that. I like the freedom that gives Ramsey, and he's such an important player for us. And, um, I mean, then you've got a choice of, like, who do you pick with Bale up front? Dan James, who, who starts virtually every game, or he does start every game, you know, since he's, since his debut. Um, Kiefer Moore gives us that physicality, banging form. And then, you know, Brennan Johnson is, you know, just such going to be a superstar, I think. You know, so it's a, it's a tough one because then you've got to drop, like, two good forwards if you if you do play with two defensive midfielders. I mean, if everyone... You know, I'm I'm thinking if everyone's fit, I would play Ampadu in in uh, defence because that's where he's mainly been playing alongside Joe Roden and Ben Davis, and I would have you know it's kind of like almost like our fullbacks we expect them to go push forward so much they're almost midfielders to some degree so it's like Connor Roberts and Nico Williams have got all this energy so I'm saying like a, a midfield four of of uh, of like Nico and Connor as the full-backs, but joining into the midfield with mm-hmm. Joe Allen and Joe Morrell um, as the defensive midfielders. But it's, it's our one because is Joe Allen going to be fit? I, Joe, Joe Morrell is someone who sort of 
divides opinion because he has not really done much at club level. But being very he, good this year, though, very good this season for Portsmouth. Yeah, I haven't really been sort of paying so much attention because uh, it doesn't bother me so much because he's done so well for Wales. I think he's yeah. always played well for Wales. You know, he just looks at home on the international stage in a fantastic performance against Turkey at the last uh, tournament. Um, so it almost doesn't matter what he's doing at club level for me. Um, I, I would, for this USA game, I would go with, if Joe Allen's fit, Joe Allen and Joe Morrell as the central midfield two with Ramsey in front of him at number 10. But if Joe Allen's not fit, you know, it just causes, it causes all sorts of complications. I, I would probably then push Ampadu into midfield to play alongside Joe Morrell and bring in Mepham or Cabango to central defence in that scenario. So, um, I don't disagree with anything you just said. However, for me, um, spe- specifically for the USA game as well, because I agree with you that their strengths lie in McKinney and, and Pulisic, um, and I think they will come out and they will be all guns blazing against us because they, if you look at their media and their social media and, and things like that, the USA have completely written us off. They think that it's really? between them and England to win the league, right. um, to win the group, sorry. Um, and I've got a few American friends actually who, who say exactly the same. That is very much the attitudes that certainly of the people who I've spoken to and seen. Um, but anyway, so I would go with, in their recent results, which means that they no. should have this confidence. I don't, I mean, no, just there is absolutely Saudi Arabia not. and lost to Japan. I don't, I don't, I don't, yeah, understand I don't where know. this confidence comes from, but it's maybe it's just because they're American. This, yeah, I don't know what it is, but I don't mind it at all. But, um, I think they'll come out all guns blazing. I think they'll be relatively physical, but I think they also have, they do have a couple of really good footballers. Um, I would play. I would go with Ampadu in midfield, 100%. He'd be my whole, one of my holding midfielders because I think he gives the the legs, the aggression, but he can also technically, you know, he, he's a great passer of the football as well. Um, and I think he's maturing into, the, he'll be our new Joe Allen effectively for years and years to come, hopefully. Um, I would go with probably Joe Morrell for the USA game over Joe Allen, only because um, Joe Allen is getting a bit older as he got the legs to get around and also has been carrying the injury. But we did say if everyone was fit, so I'll stick to my own rules. Um, and then I'd play either... I probably, I think I'd probably go with Ben Kabanga, even as much as that hurts me to say as a Cardiff fan. Like, I think he's, an, again, he is a future Welsh centre-back for years to come. I really like him. He's a Cardiffian as well. Don't remind me. Um, But he is an exceptional footballer. And I think he'll be a Wales captain in the future. I think he's very, very good. Um, So I think him alongside Ben Davis and uh, Joe Roden is a good combination. Yeah, I mean, you pick Cabango ahead of Mepham because Mepham's been in... Pretty good form for Bournemouth this season. Yeah, mar- marginally, marginally. But maybe yeah. that's... And that might be like a bit of kind of um, 
that Cardiff bias because he is a Cardiff boy, even though he plays for Swansea. So maybe there's a bit of that in there. But I've been very impressed with him. I was very impressed with how he played against Cardiff the other week. Um, he's got you know, good pace and, and good legs. But look, if you told me, you know, no, uh, Meepum's going to play, I wouldn't be devastated. You know, Meepum's been in great form this year. Um, Morale's been in good form. I would go with the two holders uh, in Ampadu and Morale. I mean, you could put Joe Allen in there as well, and I wouldn't be, again, disappointed if he was fit. I'd have Ra- uh, Ramsey as a sort of a t- 10 or attacking midfielder, and then I would play. And that's the, that's the one yeah, sort of complication then, because my heart says, or my head sort of says, play Bale off, you, could, you know, Kiefer Moore maybe. But Wales have looked so dangerous with Daniel James playing as a like a striker. He just needs if he can find his composure. Yeah, I said this to Rodri a couple of weeks ago. If Daniel James can suddenly just find a bit of composure in one-on-one situations in front of goal, he could end up scoring like five or six goals in the World Cup because he he gets so many chances just from his uh, his pace and and just the sheer speed of the boy. But yeah. unfortunately, his finishing hasn't been great for Wales. No, no, but I think Dan James is an interesting one because, you know, you, because obviously people are adv- advocating for, for uh, Brennan Johnson, which I totally understand because yes. he's a wonderful player. Kiefer Moore as well. He's done <laughs> so well for Wales and he's in good form for Bournemouth. Got a couple at the weekend, you know. His 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 height is shit. You know the fact that he wins so many headers. You know it's a, it's a real asset for us. So I can see why people put those names forward as people who should definitely start. But like Daniel James has started every single competitive game since his debut. It's quite it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah, and in, but in that time. We've qualified for the European Championships, got out of the group to the last 16. We we uh, we topped the Nations League group. We've qualified for the World Cup, you know, and that includes two, two playoff ties, uh, uh, games that we've won with Dan James in the team. So we've had all the success with Dan James in the team. It's not a sort of coincidence for me. He brings so much to the table, which beyond the fact that he's not you know, the most natural of finishers. He's not, he's never going to be a, like a Robbie Fowler or anything like that. But f- a part of it for me is that he's so good defensively. It gets a bit overlooked, but he's one of our best defenders, to be totally honest. He, his, his pressing is so good. His tracking back is superb. He links up really well with Nico Williams down that left-hand side. So I, 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 I don't think we're going to get to a point where after four years of starting every competitive game, Paige is going to suddenly not no. start him for a World Cup game. So no, I, I think Dan James will, will almost certainly start. But I do, you know, I think Brennan Johnson and, and, and Kiefer Moore are great options that we're going to have then off the bench. And I think in, in, for different in, different reasons, you know, Moore will be able to, will be able to hit more, he'll, he'll win headers and we can... Um, he can hold it up, and then Johnson, his pace and energy, and his his lovely kind of first touch, and 
Um, so I think substitutes are going to be important as well because this is this is going to be played in the in the in the desert. So yeah, that in mind you know it's not you know the 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 starting eleven is important, but it's like the the subs are going to be important too, mega important. I think. Well, you've got if you look at like, and by the way, I don't think the side that I said it will be the side that Robert Page plays. I think he'll play Kiefer Moore and Daniel James yeah. with Gareth Bale sort of doing whatever he wants. Um, and I think Ampadu will play in defence because that's, that's where they like him. That's where he's played, like you, you mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I also think that I'd play a different side again versus Iran and possibly a different side versus England. I think you do need to... It's, they're three quite different opponents and they provide different problems. So I think yeah. you can... There's no harm in... Not you know completely ripping up your tactics that you've been so successful with, but there's nothing wrong with adapting certain aspects of those tactics. Yeah. To 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 best beat your opponent. Um, yeah. I mean, if the, you look but, back at 2016 when we you know obviously we did so well those three group games you know Coleman picked different starting elevens every time you know yes and the substitutes absolutely. again were important you know so it was like it was looking at how how are we best going to beat this opponent? How are we going to you know go better against this opponent? And as you know, it's not you know football's moved on from that time. Probably like when me and you were growing up, when you know yeah, a manager would have his set starting eleven really, and if they were all fit, they would play every week. You know, in a four four yeah. two. If football's uh, mm. it's moved on quite a bit from those days, you know. Indeed, um, and very lastly, then. For the like, we mentioned the bench. Like, I think Wales have got more depth on that bench than ever before in terms of players who can come on and change a game. Like, you've got, say, if we go with like either one of our sides, you've got um, Brennan Johnson, you've got Kiefer Moore, maybe um, Tyler Roberts, Mark Harris, potentially. Um, but then you've also got like Harry Wilson, who's very, very creative, had a very good couple of seasons. You've got um, Will Vokes, maybe if he goes, got the big throw and and can do some. He's pretty good, but then also Rabi Matonda is. I think he's. I I don't know how he's doing this year, but you know he's, he's highly rated Welsh footballer. Um, Wales suddenly have a handful of players on the bench who can change games, score important goals, create important chances. Yeah, I don't think Matondo will go because just his form for Rangers this season has not kind of been up to it. He would have gone if the World Cup had been in the summer. <laughs> he almost certainly would have gone because he had a great season last season in Belgium on loan. Yeah, he played 26 think... games last year. Yeah, and he scored a few goals and big goals as well. And, and now it just this move to Rangers just hasn't worked out for him. So it's that's probably going to do it do his chances of getting the squad in out of foot. I just don't... Don't see that there's really a place for him, but yeah, I, I think you're right. It's like um, you know we're talking here about just before about the centre backs and and saying okay, well, we could we could leave, probably will leave if everyone's fit a, a, a centre back in Chris Meppham on the bench who's been playing week in week out in the Premier League this season and doing all right. You know he's won uh, you know like player of the month at Bournemouth. Um, Maybe it was August, September. I can't remember, but um, you know, we, we, you know, if if player was playing week in week out in the Premier League, 
in the past, he would almost certainly be in the Wales team. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, we didn't have that many players, but yeah, I know. I know you mean like Harry Wilson. If everyone's fit, probably he doesn't start for me. But then you know he's 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 done well for us. He's a good player, really good player. Who's decent experience now, and he's back in the Premier League, and, and he's back fit, coming on for uh, for uh, Fulham last couple of games or. We started, I think, a couple of weeks ago. So that's good. That's good. His fitness is good. But, you know, he's, he's a player who, you know, if everyone's fit, doesn't start for me. No, he, uh, I think he probably replaces Ramsey if he, Ramsey's injured, I think, isn't he? Yeah. Like, yeah. he's the like yeah. for like number 10. Yeah, number 10. yeah he, no, it's again, great. Hasn't we've let got... Wales down, have he, in his last few appearances? I think he's been pretty good for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, that, that, that bodes well. You know, it's just... Um, it's a shame someone like Reese Norrington Davis is he's, he's going to be missing for injury because uh, he could, yeah. he's he's he was he was having a really good season at Sheffield United in the in the Championship and um, he can play centre back or left back so it's good to have those options of players who can play in the, in the different positions as well but um, yeah I know what you mean it's it's going to be um, you know I can imagine if think like if you know let's say we're you know. 70 minutes against Iran and it's still nil-nil or something. I can imagine people sort of showing a page, get Kiefer Moore on, get mm. Brennan Johnson on or something like that. You know, the, but we have got these options, people who can, who can come on and, 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 and uh, grab us a goal, um, which makes it, yeah, exciting that um, we've probably got more depth now than we've ever had really. Yeah. I mean, oh, I mean, Dylan Levitt as well, I think, is another one who in the future will be a great player for Wales. I really rate him highly. I think he's a really good footballer. Um, I think he's played quite a few games for Dundee this year on loan. Um, he's gone there. I think he's permanent now. Um, is but it? Yeah, he's been, he's been playing, but they're having a poor season. I think he's another one like um, Matondo. It would have, you know, if the summer, the World Cup had been in the summer, like World Cup. He'd have definitely uh, gone. He'd have definitely gone and definitely made it, he could have made it, contribution because he had a really good season last season but this season's not not gone so well for him hopefully it's just a blip and you know um he you know he, he, we see more more of him in the future but you know they're um he'll probably go in the squad but i don't i don't think his form this season with them being like bottom of the table up in scotland it really merits much game time to be no honest. no um if you were had your kind of like you're very cynical or, or, or like, how can I, I can't think of the right word, like very win-orientated brain on and you were picking the squad. Is there any player who maybe people, you know, everyone generally expects to go that you wouldn't take? <laughs> I know uh, that's a bit of a weird question, but like yeah. generally I think most people would take the same sort of group of players. So I thought I'd try and make it a bit more. Interesting. Well, we we did this on the the podcast. I uh, on the podcast Peldroid. I I didn't um, take part in the actual podcast, but I sent uh, Russell, who's the he's a sort of chief of our podcast, that my uh, list of twenty six. I think we're twenty six players. Not really, because um, it's quite a lot for a for a small country yeah. to be picking twenty six. But if if it had been twenty three. I probably wouldn't have taken Dylan Levitt actually because of his 
form this season not being not meriting it. And he got his chance against Poland in the last game. And I don't think he really imposed himself on the game enough. You know, I think he did all right. I didn't. I don't think he, he didn't play badly in that game. It's just you know playing central midfield. I think international level you need to really try and impose yourself, show a bit more character mm-hmm. than he has in recent times. So he would he would have been one. I wouldn't have picked if it had been a squad of 23. And uh, I almost hate to say this, but I wouldn't, in a squad of 23, take Chris Gunter. I I would take him, but not take him, if that makes sense. I would take him in the hope that he doesn't get anywhere near the pitch, to be totally honest. I mean, I love Chris Gunter, but you know, he's not he's not good enough as a footballer. And footballing, for footballing reasons, and footballing merit, he's not good enough to be... At, a World Cup at this particular point in his career, but the character that he is, the legend that he is, you know, the the, the love that the rest of the squad have for him and, and all that kind of stuff means that he sh- in a squad of 26, there is room for, 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 for him to be there. And, um, you know, I, you know, he's such good mates with Ramsey and Bale and Hennessy, all those guys that they'd be pissed off if uh, if he wasn't around. So it's not yeah. worth not taking him for those reasons, you know. But uh, in a squad of twenty three, I don't think he, he would justify his place. But in twenty, in a squad of twenty six, there's there's enough room for him. So so not not really. I mean, maybe Tyler Roberts. I don't. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, not. Huge. I just don't think he, he just doesn't do enough for me no. um like doesn't score enough goals doesn't create enough doesn't i don't know what it is like he doesn't link he hasn't up got the as hard well stats, has he? he hasn't got he hasn't no. got the stats to back him up back it like back he's up. made 20 appearances for wales i know a lot of them are off the bench but he hasn't scored a goal yet and yeah. hasn't really looked like tearing trees up and look you know he's still what is he 22 23 he, he's still a young you know a young man and he may go on and have a, a really successful welsh career not saying that he's terrible just that like there's other players that i would probably take in front of him yeah yeah same same and it, he's he's another one who, i think he's injured at the moment and he probably won't play before the world cup so it's like you don't want to take, take too many of those players, do you? You, you don't, don't want, want to take, take too many. You can take a Joe Allen in those circumstances because he's such a legend, you know. But uh, Tyler Roberts, to me, he's not done enough to justify taking him on the back of no football for yeah. weeks. And the thing so, is, you're playing in the desert, like you said. You don't want to go out there with four or five players who are carrying knocks or recovering from injuries because if they do have a setback or they don't recover in time, Suddenly, you are into the sort of maybe third choice or fourth choice. Yeah. And look, you know we've we've got a deeper squad than what we had in previous years, but we're still not picking from the same size pool as an England or you know some other countries. So, got to be sensible, I guess, is the the, the right thing. Yeah. Um, Leon, thank you so much for joining me, mate. I really, really appreciate it. We've gone way longer than what I thought we were going to, but we kind of got chatting and then it just flew by, especially the no last worries, sort of yeah. 15 no minutes. Half or so. Yeah, you might, yeah, you might edit some of this down, I suppose. Yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's, it's all good. But um, 
to finish finish us off and take us out, mate. Where do you think, or how far do you think Wales can get in the World Cup? You know, when you look at that group, do you think we get through? Yeah. Um, God, you know, it's, it, I think a lot depends on our first game. You know, you know, a win against the USA really sets us off, and they've not been in great form of late. But I mean, they have this amazing competitive spirit, USA, don't they? And I, you know. As long as we're like matched them for spirit and attitude, we should win that game, and then that should because I think we we've got more quality than them. That should then sort of you know see us get out of the group. I would hope, and then uh, and then it's tough. You know, probably Senegal or Netherlands in the in the round of sixteen. It's a tough game, but. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I'm kind of like erring towards us getting out of the group. I think we sh- hopefully we're going to do it. Um, if the players can adapt to the conditions and in, in, in time as well, I mean, it's going to be totally weird going from playing in November in fucking Hull or whatever to playing in the desert in Qatar in the World Cup <laughs> week, one week later. But if we can, if we can cope with that, and Paige uses, he's going to have to use the subs pretty well. Um, I think we can get out of the group. Then it's, you know, it's a tough one. If we're, if we're up against like Netherlands in the round of sixteen, if we get through, and they get through, say, it's tough because you know it would be then up against a team we've never beaten, we've never even drawn against. So we gave them two uh, good games though. Um, we did just recently. We should have drawn both those games, you know, and um, just couldn't see it out. But you know, what a time to beat them for the first time it would be if it was at a World Cup. If it was, if it was in Netherlands, you know. Um, I think so, um, the other thing as well is like on our day with a fully fit squad and team. I think on our day we are capable of beating any other team, but. Yeah. It's a big ask, I think. Be interesting as well because I don't, you know, we don't come across, we don't play many games against sort of African nations either. So yeah. that would be another sort of bridge to cross and how we sort of cope with that. But yeah, all that uh, very interesting. Mate, I could carry on speaking to you for another hour and, and yeah, yeah. just talk about a World Cup now. I'm, I'm kind of, you've got me a bit more in the mood for the World Cup, I think. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm getting well, what, do you, what, what do you think, just to kind of, what do you think um, yourself? And how, do, how far we I think get? I think we get through the group because I I simply think unless things go horribly wrong, I think we are better than United States and I think we're better than Iran. So unless we have a really really off days against them, we should beat them. Yeah. The England game it would be nice to go into the England game with two wins under our belt, so there's mm-hmm. no pressure on you know it could they can almost go and just enjoy that occasion of playing England in the World Cup. Um, maybe you can give a couple of the Brennan, you know, like the likes of Brennan Johnson a, a start and give Gareth Bale a rest or because of the heat and things like that. If you've won your first two games, because you pretty much, you are through really. Um, I think 
again, like you say, the Netherlands or Senegal, as it would probably be, it's difficult. It is really difficult. But then, what were we talking about less than an hour ago? You know, that, that magical night in uh, against Belgium was something special. Yeah. And I would argue that that Belgium team was better than the current Dutch team. So, yeah, you just never know. Um, it's a funny old game, as they say. But I mean, <laughs> but it is like it's just interesting, isn't it? Because yeah, it's good. we're going into this World Cup. It's new, but I also think we should get out of that group. So it's there's like a it's an interesting interesting lay of the land at the moment. I think a lot yeah. of it will come down to how teams. Um, adapt to the heat. Yeah. So, yeah. looking yeah. forward to it, though. No, absolutely. It's something that's, I mean, there are many truly shit things about this World Cup being held in Qatar. Of but but um, I think, you know, like, something to look forward to in these sort of dark winter months, clock's just gone back, you know, um shit weather outside and, and and but we've got a world cup in a couple of weeks time to to watch wales in amazing you know and it's gonna you know it's good for good for people back home watching because i mean not it's not like thousands and thousands are gonna gonna go out to qatar so no. pubs and clubs in wales will be busy good business for them and and that sort of thing you know that's 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 all positive at least and um hope we can yeah hope we can have more than three games. That's you know. That's I. I that's my kind of hope. Looking at it, it's like that we all play more than three games you know, before we yeah. go home. I look at on the positive side as well. Is last time we played in the same group as England, we won the group. So there's that <laughs> yeah. too. Yeah. Um, Leon, I appreciate your time, mate. Uh, apologies for going a bit longer, but I hope hopefully you enjoyed the combo as much as I did. Yeah. Um, I will link your book and podcast. Pal Droid and your social media and everything in the description for the show. Um, thank you very much for joining me. Appreciate you. Thanks, Lee. No, no worries. Thank you very much. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.